Hello everyone and welcome to the Unbarred podcast. I'm your host Zoe. We're a project in association with the University of Nottingham's Pro Bono Society. We're a student-led initiative running workshops in prisons and creating resources with people reintegrating back into society. Today we'll be talking about money saving tips, universal credit and pensions. Hi, my name's Jack and today I'll be talking about universal credit. My name's Charlie and I'll be talking about money saving tips. And hi, my name's Lewis, and I'll be talking today about pensions. So Jack, what are universal credits? Universal credit is the payment to help with living costs. It will replace child tax credit, working tax credit, housing benefit, income support, job seekers allowance and employment support allowance. You're eligible for universal credit if you're between the age of 18 and the state pension age, which is currently 65. Although there are limited exceptions for 16 and 17 year olds. It is primarily for people who are out of work or unable to work. However, if you're working part-time, you may still be eligible for universal credit. To be eligible for universal credit, you need to have less than £16,000 in savings, which includes investments and property. Jack, um, where can I check my eligibility or apply for universal credit? You can apply on the government website, and you'll need your bank details and email address and, and access to a phone. It's important to note that while you can't apply during your time at prison, you can still use this time to get documents together that you'll need. For example, a driving license or a passport, as well as a debit or credit card and a payslip or P60 to to prove your identity and information about your housing, earnings, if you have a disability and your childcare and savings and investments. To maintain your universal credit, you'll need to keep in contact with a work coach who will help you prepare and look for work. This might include working on yourself, applying for job, and applying for jobs with a CV. This is something that we'd recommend you do anyway, as it's been put in place to benefit you. So how much is someone entitled to? The amount you're entitled to on universal credit is based on your circumstances each month. But you, you start off with a standard allowance, depending on your age and whether you live with a partner. For example, someone who's single and is under 25 will be entitled to £265 per month, whereas someone who's over 25, living with a partner, is entitled to £525 between them. Your universal credit payment can also vary depending on whether you apply to child benefit if you have kids, your childcare costs if you're a carer, your housing costs, and your earnings and level of savings. So, Charlie, talking about the savings and the entitlement that you'd get with universal credit, uh, how will someone make that money go further? Yeah, so I think one of the most effective methods, and quite very simple to be fair, is just recording your expenses, setting out, like dividing it into categories, knowing what you're spending, for instance. If you're spending a certain amount of food, or if you've got a card and petrol, and then your bills. Uh, it's really important that you include everything, so there's not going to be anything sudden being taken out. And I think one of the best ways to do this is by going through a bank statement. You're not going to miss anything out on a bank statement. And I think in today's age especially, you're not really spending too much cash. And once this, you can create a budget. So you need to budget your net income and not your salary. And once you've figured out your budget, then you can set your own targets. Um, and I think this is where, in essence, the fun bit comes in. So knowing what your disposal income is, so what you've got left and what you want to prioritise. So if you're saving up for a new car or a new bike, then you can just refer back to your budget and save a certain amount of money a month. So certain banks, such as Monzo, they're really effective at this. So if you're spending a certain amount on food, it labels this, it tells you what you spent on that category. And like I said, also you can create certain pots, which is quite good for knowing what you like I said setting out your target so if you want a new, a new bike for instance you can set a 200 pound 
bike or if you want a bit less or a bit more um, and then you just enter a certain amount in uh, maybe a week or a month and then like I said you know exactly what you're spending and you can add slowly or if you've got a bit more then you can add a bit more so like I said it's important not to spend all your budget at once and I can't really emphasize that enough you might you never know what bill you might have to pay and I think especially today's age you never know what prices are going to increase or you know think positively they could decrease so I think this is one of the most effective methods just you know know how to save money and make sure it's uh, effective so yeah so Charlie can you still have fun while you save money uh, yeah definitely I think this is where like I said the fun aspect comes in there's certain challenges that have been created Barclays Bank themselves they've actually came up with a few for instance they've got the the one piece saving challenge so this is more of a long-term goal but it's I think it's quite good because you've got something to look forward to so the aim is to save one penny on day one so say if we start on January 1st then one p and then two p on day two three p on the third day and so forth the aim of this is that after a year you could end up with saving over 650 pounds and I think this is quite good because if you've got an extra few pennies laying about, then you can add it to the day. So you could add up with more. And also a second one that they've come up with is a no spend weekend challenge. So maybe like once every month, if you can, you could do certain activities. So going on walks, movie nights, they even do free museums. So if you've got anything that you enjoy, so it's like, like I said, the museums, I think they're a fantastic idea. And, you know, I think everyone likes a bit of the educational side. They've got London, like the London History Museum. Um, it's free to walk in and I've been there a few times and it's really informative, it's really good. And I think with these challenges, it's even more enjoyable because you're not left to your own devices. You can do it with your friends, you can do it with your family. And like I said, it's really good because it encourages strong communication and establishing better friendships. So it's yeah, like I said, it's not all, saving isn't, doesn't have to be bad, it can be very fun. So yeah. Uh, and one thing I'd add is um, when it comes to saving, sometimes you have to spend more to save more. Yeah. Um, so if you're looking at the idea of public transport, for example, rather than uh, spending every day on the bus or an Uber, uh, looking into things like buying a bike, for example, um, or finding um, affordable travel uh, that doesn't cost you in the long run. Yeah. Um, I know several jobs offer now the uh, cycle to work scheme. Uh, this is where with certain employers, uh, they'll give you a small grant to go out and buy yourself a bicycle, usually from Halfords uh, or from some independents. Uh, and then that comes out of your wage slowly and that should save you, you know on the travel to work for example rather than taking a tram or a bus and the same can be said when it comes to buying food so if you look at some of the supermarkets audi lidl always some of the the cheapest supermarkets to shop from think about the long term if you can buy in bulk knowing that it will save you rather than going back two or three times for the same product it could seem uh, like an issue at the time trying to spend a little bit more now but knowing that will save you over the week or the month. Yeah, and um, carrying on from this, things like lift shares, accommodation with friends, or if you can uh, flat share, for example, it makes these purchases more justifiable. If there's more of you eating, for example, you could then afford together to make the bulk buys rather than individually spending on small meals. Yeah, definitely. So I think this is something that all students can relate to. For instance, I live in a house of six, and all together we work to see you know, how we can cut down our prices. Like I said, going on Lewis's point, bulk buying is one of the most effective methods. You go in store and you can see a one tin of baked beans for nowadays it's two pounds, but when you buy it all together as a bulk, it can come up to like four or five pounds for four tins. So it's definitely one of the most effective methods. And also just working together. So like I said, being in the house of six, knowing when you, for instance, small things like turning off the lights at certain times. So just going off that. In terms of like electricity and the rising cost of living, I think one of the very effective method is to convert to a smart meter. This will drastically decrease the prices of your bills. So it's quite simple and just 
like I said, that small little change can benefit you quite a lot. I definitely agree. As a student, we're also always looking for ways to save money. For example, in food shopping, we look towards supermarkets like Aldi and Lidl. But it's also important to consider that if you are really struggling for food, there are food banks that you can turn to. Additionally, to add to Charlie's point on also saving but having some enjoyment, there's also low-cost retailers like Primark where you can still buy quite nice clothes. Uh, yeah, and from what you've both said, I think you have to realise that um, saving is something that you do lifelong. It's not something for the immediate or just when you leave prison. Students do it. Any, anyone on any amount of wage has to budget uh, within their means. Uh, and I think this is especially true once you reach pension age. Uh, and in a minute, I'll talk about pensions, uh, your entitlement to it whilst in prison, outside of prison, and how to find out more about that. So, Lewis, can you tell me a little bit about pensions? in prison yeah sure so whilst you're in custody your pension payments if you are receiving them will be paused if you're held on remand but not found guilty of a, of a criminal offence it's returned to you afterwards as one large lump sum but whilst you're in prison you lose your right to pension payments for the duration of your imprisonment and when leaving it's really important that you find on the government website it's a B79 form also known as a discharge from prison form. And this will let His, His Majesty's Revenue and Customs know that you've left prison now and you may be returning to work. And also to note, whilst in prison, your contributions to national insurance will stop. So whereas regularly you work and some of that's deducted from the government and that affects your entitlement to a pension. This means that your pension entitlement may be lower once you leave prison. So how it works is starting from the age of 16 until your retirement age, the government wants to see either 30 or 35 years of uh, full-time contributions to national insurance. So whilst you've been in prison, there may be gaps in national insurance for a few years. You'll usually get a letter from HMRC explaining the missing payments. These aren't fees to pay necessarily, but just explains that if you want to contribute, you can. This may be to your benefit later on as your state pension will be lower if there are too many gaps. To find out about your gaps and how you can pay them back, you can go to the Department for Work and Pensions website and search for a state pension statement. This will explain to you your projected retirement age and your projected retirement entitlement, uh, and it gives it to you weekly, monthly, and a year. You can also find out about how much you have already contributed, searching for a statement of national insurance account from the national insurance website as well. It is to know, unlike uh, people uh, who are unemployed or with disabilities, you have no access to national insurance credits. These would usually explain your lack of contribution, but these aren't available to you in prison. And after leaving prison for each year that you uh, haven't contributed, so when you leave prison, you'll have six years, if you choose to, to top those up and to fill the gaps. Lewis, how do you contribute to your national insurance payments? Yeah, so this is done automatically whilst you're in full-time employment. And for those of you working whilst in prison, uh, for example, Category D prisons, you may find that's already been done for you. So on your pay slip, you might see um, some uh, deducted, and that usually goes towards your, your taxes, your national insurance. And so the only time you have to automatically do it is, for example, in this case, where you have to go back and look at the taxes that you haven't made the full contribution and either maybe save up, that could be a goal that we could be looking at um, as Charlie spoke about, or it could be something that you just work on in the future. So you've still got years left until you retire. You could enter full-time employment now, work it off, work at your 30 to 35 years uh, and receive the full entitlement. Yeah, and going back to you, Jack, so I explained that the state pension statement calculates that for you. Is there any other websites to help me calculate my entitlement to universal credit? Yeah, definitely. There's a benefits calculator on the www.gov.uk website for universal credit, but you'll always find more information on the Unbarred website and the universal credit helpline if you need to. Also, not to forget, Martin Lewis has got his own money-saving 
website. It's on the website. You can sign up for a free subscription. We'll email you the weekly, the latest deals, guides, and tips for saving money. Um, it's just worth remembering that the website is updated quite frequently. So it's always worth just checking back maybe a few times a week just to see what new deals or methods have been uploaded. For instance, on today's deals, if you switch banks to HSBC, then you can receive a £200 in cash. Or for instance, in relation to new supermarket deals, they've got Morrison's have just released their new loyalty card discounts. Like I said, it's just worth always going back and checking where you can save. Like I said, you can up to get to almost £200 or just saving a few pounds here and there. But any little help, so it's always going to make a difference. And like I said, relating back to my first point, um, you can make this in your budget. And if you're saving up for something, so like I said, these little little amounts, it's going to add up and always help you. Yeah, no, exactly. And uh, um, relating back to mine as well about the pension savings now could help when it comes maybe back to national insurance contributions. But I think that's it from us here. We're now going to take you to Dan, a special guest with a segment of a success story. Now for a new segment on the podcast, we're going to do a personal or success story of an ex-offender or company that has succeeded while coming after coming out of prison. This is a story from Unlock of an ex-offender who's worked with them. This is his statement. If someone had told me I'd have a criminal record and get prison term three years ago, I'd have laughed. However, the reality of his journey has been eye-opening and frightening. The pre-prison journey was horrendous, and my lack of knowledge concerning the working of the law cost me dearly. Legal aid means only the basics are covered, and it's very true that without money to defend yourself, you're in a poor position to fight. Prior to this experience, I had absolute respect for the criminal justice system. This, I'm afraid, is no longer the case. From my own perspective, post-prison is where the true sentence began. A criminal record causes a significant impact on the simple things in life, For those with a life sentence, you have my absolute sympathy. Thankfully, in time, I will no longer have to disclose, and the matters will improve. That's not to say I'm naive enough to think things will be perfect. If you leave prison and they offer you hostile accommodation, take it. In my case, they opened the prison door and left me to it. Probation couldn't help with accommodation or work, and it's not their responsibility. Writing to housing associations helps, but doesn't always achieve great results and the council are sometimes left as less than helpful. Therefore, if you have a place to stay, be grateful, because it will give you the opportunity and time to sort your life out. Life on licence is still bearable. My probation officer was very supportive, and in many cases, they only come down hard on you if you give them reason to. Finding work with a criminal record has proved to be a journey in itself. You may have to prepare yourself for a lot of rejection, but then you'll be okay. The job centre will work with any restrictions that you have, and my work coach asked me to apply for every job under the sun. But this wasn't appropriate. I had to be clear about what my options were, and job seekings allowance and universal credit require seeking work. So you shouldn't be penalised if you only apply for two jobs a week, but you need to be looking for jobs. I recommend forming a relationship with your work coach and trying to get them on board. I would advise concentrating on joining agencies that specialise in working with ex-offenders and they do exist and they are helpful. Talking to my work coach allowed me to find out which ones were best to join and set realistic standards about what I was trying to apply for. Talking with employers face to face was really successful and I was able to speak for myself, sell my strengths and explain how I'd become convicted. I'd certainly recommend this to anyone looking for a job and I would achieved much more positive results for doing this. 
Banning the box is something I something I definitely support, and I believe that there are times where I tick the box uh, about convictions, and this had a major impact on me applying for jobs. However, moving towards banning the box will help you find jobs. It's been necessary for me to take a long, hard look at my CV, and I've had to remove some of my qualifications. Degree and postgraduate qualifications aren't always useful and are sometimes a hindrance. Maybe just dumbing down your CV will improve your chances of getting a job. I'm now employed with cars and receive 40 to 45 hours of regular work a week and regular pay. My current employers never asked me about my past. All he wanted to know was that I was reliable and committed to my job. My employer realises that there may be skeletons in my closet, but as far as, as far as he's concerned, I contribute to his company. I'm hardworking and never let him down. I make him money and that's all he wants. The future moves on for me and I know that there will be other difficult occasions to overcome. Patience and resolve will allow you to make progress, you've just got to hang on in there. I haven't enjoyed the constant blacklisting and perhaps this may continue, but I'll not give up. It can feel as though the system is designed to set you up to fail, but don't let it. We're all worth something and I believe that if a company says no, then it was their loss. When you walk into an interview, it's in your hands to prove that you have the skills and the experience to do the job and that you're worth the faith and trust that they're placing in you. Thanks for listening to the Unbarred podcast. I'm pleased you listened in and I hope you found it helpful and useful. Join us again next episode when we'll be talking about mental health, stigma and interviews. Thanks very much.